Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. From St. Louis Public Radio. This is Politically Speaking. The 2022 edition of the Missouri General Assembly is in the books, and Missouri Democrats like State Representative Joe Adams are taking stock at what was a turbulent time. On this edition of Politically Speaking, the University City Democrat joined Sarah Kellogg and I to break down the ups and downs of the 2022 session. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in Jefferson City, she is St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter Sarah Kellogg. And joining us in studio today, he is the representative from Missouri's 86th House District. First time back on the show since 2017. Man, that is amazing. I, I thought I would have been back before then. I, uh, State Representative Joe Adams is joining us. Just remind our listeners what your district encompasses. Well, my district currently encompasses uh, most of uni- University City and the cities north of U City, basically Benito Park, Hanley Hills, Pagedale, and Wellston. My new district is going to be University City, all of University City, and just the northern part of Clayton. Yes, and and he is running for his final term in the House unopposed, one of the reasons we're having him on the show, so we don't have to have three primary uh, (laughs) guests on. So how do you think this year's legislative session went? It was pathetic Uh, in, in one sense. In other sense, it was pretty great. Uh, it was pathetic in that we didn't do enough for the people of the state of Missouri. Uh, we did a few things that were uh, pretty poor for the residents of the state of Missouri, but we passed almost no legislation whatsoever. Not counting budget, we've only approved 44 bills that we sent to the governor for his signature. And last count that I checked, he had only signed two. So uh, we've got a ways to go yet. He, he will be getting a bunch next uh, this Wednesday. Uh, they, they've got to approve all the rest of them. The House and the Senate leadership have to sign off the legislation that we passed in the uh, last days of this session. And they'll be going to the governor for his perusal. So, you know, part of this big story of session is is the Missouri Senate. Uh, they spent months, you know, gridlock on a map. It seemed that they were filibustering the journal every week. You know, it feels like to me, you know, how did turmoil in the Senate affect how the House functioned? 
It, it affected the house in that we spent our spun our wheels a lot doing almost nothing. Some bills we would debate forever that were nothing bills. And other bills that were of substance where we wanted to debate, they would end the debate by calling the previous question, or as we like to call it, PQ, and all of a sudden we were through with it. It, it was disastrous in that regard. Uh, we, we could tell when we were spinning our wheels because there were days when we would approve two bills, maybe three. And in my past service in the legislature, I don't really remember us going that slow. So House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid had an interesting answer when asked if the Senate's dysfunction really made the House look better by comparison. I think Jason has the clip. When you see the dysfunction in the Senate, what we're seeing is filibusters on the floor over the journal that go on for days and days. But we also know the Senate works behind the scenes. They make deals, they compromise. We saw that with the maps actually passing at the very end. Um, there were a lot of things that, that they continue to do that work on. And so um, to your point, the, the contentiousness in the House is so very different because ours is out in the open. Um, we don't really have deals behind the scenes that we're working on. When we are working on compromise language, everyone knows about it. Um, everything is out in the open. And in the House is where we do the really contentious stuff. You know, we, we spent most of session talking about vulnerable kids and trying to protect them from some bullies and not actually working on public policy. And so um, I, I think that it's easy to say that the dysfunction is solely in the Senate, but I think that this, the whole place is a mess and we've got to bring back some balance. I'm curious with your thoughts on that. Uh, I, I agree with the, the minority leader. Uh, she's right. We need to bring back some balance. One way to bring back balance is for the citizens of this state to decide to elect more Democrats to both the House and the Senate. So at least even it up a little. Make sure that the Republicans have to listen to us and hear our issues. Uh, if we're always debating theirs, it becomes a futility in, in a lot of ways. I, I, one of the things I, I would tell to uh, the person who sits behind me in the legislature, one of the things that we kept seeing is they kept trying to show uh, a shiny objects to go after, and they would create uh, these debating points that in reality, weren't going anywhere, like for the transgender youth, uh, trying to exclude them from sports and things like that. And so we ended up debating that for hours instead of the underlying bill, which was significant. One of your colleagues, State Representative Jason Chipman, blames the lack of cohesion in the legislature on term limits. This is what he told me uh, a couple days before session ended. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with term limits. Because we only have a short amount of time here, and we know this, we're always trying to hit home runs. Everybody is trying to hit home runs up here. They can't take an idea and build on it year after year thinking they're going to be here in the future, and so if it doesn't work this year, I can come back next year as long as the people are willing to elect me. And so because of that, we all have competing priorities and we let our egos get in the way, and we're all fallen people, and so we think that our ideas are better than everybody else's, and some people will use 
wield their authority uh, within their office to ensure that their priorities get pushed out there first to the detriment of everyone else. So I've heard term limits blamed for every legislative problem in the Missouri General Assembly, but the reality is they're not going away. It would require a statewide vote for them to be altered in any mean, meaningful capacity. And, I, and I'm sure that there would be a lot of Missourians who'd be like, I don't want Missouri to be like Illinois, where lawmakers are able to be Speaker of the House for 35 years. So if term limits aren't going away, what can be done to fix this dysfunction that seems to be endemic year after year? <laughs> that That is a good question. Uh, Republicans have proposed extending the years and everything else, uh, but none of us ever quite made it out of committee even uh, of how to uh, do that. One is uh, to let you stay in the legislature for a total of 16 years, 16 either in the House or the Senate or any combination of that. Uh, term limits is was a disaster. I, they were trying to solve a problem they thought exists and to try to sell it back to the residents as a way of fixing the system by removing it or changing it, it will be difficult. It will take a Herculean task and it would be hard to find the majority of the Republican Party to speak out against the current term limit system. So uh, I don't think it will happen. I think until the citizens of the state see the dysfunction for themselves, uh, then maybe there will be a change. Now, you mentioned that the dysfunction was actually good for Democrats in some respects. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate on that? Legislation that didn't pass that was absolutely atrocious uh, were a variety of... Uh, initiative petition legislation. One of the things that they were doing, and I sit on elections committee, and they produce, oh, good 20 maybe pieces of legislation. After a while, they all ran together to deny people the chance of changing the laws or the state constitution by creating unparalleled burdens of getting these things on the ballot and getting them approved. One of the worst was to require that uh, over 50% of the registered voters would have had to have voted for the amendment for it to be approved. That's physically impossible. It never happens, except maybe in a presidential election do you get over 50% of the voters voting. It, it, it was a disaster, but they kept pushing all of these things. Um, the things that didn't pass was the fuel tax uh, repeal did not pass. Uh, part of our budget is based on that fuel tax, and it's only two per, two and a half cents this year, and then another two and a half cents next year. That's only five cents. We've got the lowest fuel tax in the nation here in Missouri, and we've got some of the bad, worst roads. It's, it's sort of like I like to tell uh, residents uh, who question me about it, would you rather pay that two and a half cent fuel tax or would you rather pay that couple of hundred dollars to get your car realigned every year?
That's, that's what you're talking about. These roads are bad. They're going to fall apart. And we wanted ha- won't have commerce. You won't be able to travel. And without that, you're not going to have good jobs in the state of Missouri. So it's, it's like that old oil commercial, pay me now or pay me later. In addition to initiative, uh, petition changes, uh, possible gas tax repeal, there were also debates in the House over and bills that passed the House on, you know, changing how schools can teach about racism through, you know, the Parents' Bill of Rights. There were bills that banned trans girls from participating in sports that spent, I know, there at least two lengthy debates on that. You, do you think that some of these were even debated at all just because it was an election year? Uh, yes, I do. Uh I I accuse one of the reps of trying to create uh, campaign ads for himself by the proposed legislation that we all knew was going nowhere. Uh, that was the case. Uh, it, it was a disaster. Why bring up things like that that you know aren't going to go? Why don't we deal with the real issues? I, I was grateful that that uh, a parent's bill of rights loss because they were going to try to amend it dealing with critical race theory, which only happens in the last years of law school where they start dealing with things like that. They do not teach that in K through 12, no matter what they kept saying. And I guess they were running with the adage, we say it long enough, loud enough, people will believe it even if it isn't true. So one thing that the legislature did pass, in part because they had to, <laughs> but uh, was, was the state budget, this record-breaking uh, state budget, $49 billion. You know, how do you think the state budget will end up helping places like St. Louis or St. Louis County? Uh, it's going to help definitely with the school systems. Uh, it's going to be full funding of the formula for transportation, which will be the first time since uh, I forget now the year that it's uh, were last fully funded. So the school districts won't have to use that money to try to cover those costs of bringing the kids to school, not only in the urban areas, but in the rural areas too, which really need it. Uh, I think uh, it will help in the sense of the road system in the urban areas. And it will help some of the cities in St. Louis County and the city of St. Louis uh, repair some things because we will be uh, shifting uh, more of that federal fund, better known as ARPA, to these locations to help them in their development. So you mentioned the American Rescue Plan Act. House Democrats were unhappy about how this bill made it through as because it gave really the House little time to look at the Senate's version. And there was no time for a conference committee because it was brought up to you all on the Friday that it was due. Are you in agreement with that sentiment or are you pretty happy with where those federal dollars you know, ended up? It was the House dysfunction again. Uh, we should have sent a budget over to the Senate dealing with those funds detailing where we wanted to spend it. The House budget chair wanted to hold back almost $2 billion of that as whatever. And we kept saying on the floor that the Senate's going to spend it. So let's put our spending priorities in there. 
But Cody Smith, the House budget chair, said no. He wanted to hold it as reserves for a rainy day, I guess you would call it. And the Senate spent it. And then we didn't have any time. Uh, part of it was because of the dysfunction of the Senate. We produced parts of our budget early and just sat around waiting for the Senate to tell us something, what they wanted to do and not do. And basically, they were running out the clock, too. We'll be right back after this quick break with State Representative Joe Adams. And we're back on Politically Speaking with State Representative Joe Adams. He is a Democrat from University City. I want to talk about a, a bill that passed in the last week of session that does a lot of things related to elections. And I think that the most notable thing it does is it resuscitates Missouri's photo identification requirement to vote. For our listeners, there was legislation that was enacted, I believe, in 2017 that would require somebody to show a photo ID in order to vote. It got struck down in court because the language around the affidavit that you would have to sign if for some reason you don't have a, a photo ID was deemed unconstitutional. And it's taken a while, but now it's back, I believe, for the general election, not the primary election. There's a lot of other things in this bill, but what was kind of your reaction that that made it to the finish line? Beside me not liking it and most of the other ones, uh, it's, it's, it's a strange piece of legislation. It started out basically as a simple bill dealing with a photo ID, started about, about three pages long, ended up over 80 pages long, covering a variety of things dealing with voting. But, for example, uh, in this photo ID, you have to have a valid ID, and the valid ID is a either a Missouri driver's license, unexpired, or the state ID. The interesting thing is that state ID doesn't expire, though the, though the driver's license does. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. When you become a senior citizen, the likelihood of you driving is slim to none. Uh, some seniors don't drive anymore, so why would you renew your driver's license when you probably couldn't renew your driver's license? Uh, so, yeah, it's to, it's to deny people their rights of voting. That's how I saw this photo ID. It's a sort of a poll tax, even though the state now says they're going to pay for everything. I'll wait to see them really doing that. The reason why this photo ID requirement is even allowed is because voters passed an amendment to the Missouri Constitution authorizing the legislature to pass a statute. And, you know, I'm sure I, I think I've asked you this question before, but I'm going to ask you again in podcast form. Democrats spent a lot of 2020 defending the will of the people when defending clean Missouri, a state legislative redistricting system that would have probably benefited them long term. Yet the photo ID authorization amendment passed by a larger margin in 2016. And I'm well aware Democrats hate the photo ID requirement. But how can you make that argument for an issue that Democrats like, but not also make that argument for something that they don't like, like photo ID? I, th I think they sold it wrong. I, I think the Republicans sold it to the 
voters with the idea that something was going wrong and most people said, oh, yeah, an ID is okay. They didn't realize the process that was going on in checking in voters and everything else. You know, one of the things I did after I left uh, political office for a while, I worked for the Board of Elections to find out how elections work and, and to see the process. So I understood everything that was going on. The signature is very important, more probably more important than the photo, photo ID. And so that helps people. Uh, Missouri has n the photo ID only takes place if you were uh, trying to impersonate somebody. There is very little impersonation of people in voting. We've had other things in corruption of voting, but not the impersonation of a voter. We've had people multiply filing as voters in other places and, and probably even voting. Uh, the former uh, chief of staff of the White House in the last administration was a registered voter in a number of states at the same time. Photo ID would not have caught that. Other things will catch it, but not photo ID. It's no secret that some members of your House Democratic Caucus were upset with the Senate for letting this bill make it to Governor Parson's desk. You know, there were repeated kind of admonishings that they didn't filibuster longer. Here's Senate Minority Leader John Rizzo responding to that criticism. We didn't vote for the bill. We don't want to have to be in a position of having to do a photo ID bill. Uh, but we know we knew it was a top priority and we tried to do the very best we could uh, without absolutely getting something horrible, absolutely horrible, shoved down our throat, which was a real possibility. So we, 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 we absolutely did the best that we could uh, with two weeks early voting, and uh, we'll see what happens maybe in the courts or whatever after that, but there's 10 of us. And when I was in the House, I used to say the same thing. And I used to look over here and I'd be angry and I'd be upset because I had personal issues or personal or bills that I really liked and I or didn't like and I wished that they would have done more. And when you get over here and you see how this place works and you're really sitting in a room where there's one bill that is absolutely horrible and there's another bill that you can unfortunately live with, uh, those are the decisions we have to make. We don't get a lot of options over here with 10 of us. And uh, we did the best we could with what, what we had. And uh, I wish we wouldn't have had to have to do it, uh, but um, we did what we could. What's your thought on that? Yeah, I, 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 my, I had some of the same feelings that some of my other Democratic colleagues had, that we had hoped that the Senate uh, Democrats could have put up a bigger fight. But I do understand what they're what he's talking about. Uh, sometimes you've got to figure out w where your losses should be, and to take partial victory when you can. Uh, the bad thing about that two weeks um, no excuse uh, voting prior to the uh, election, it's tied to the voter photo ID, and if that photo ID is struck down, that two weeks of early voting is also uh, gotten rid of. <clears throat> I, I do believe 
In fact, I, I know that soon as the governor signs that piece of legislation, there will be some lawsuits dealing with it. And uh, the lawsuits in the, pa- in the past have been successful in striking down that move of photo ID. And I think there probably will be again. I think there are enough bad things or unconstitutional ideas in House Bill 1878 that it'll throw the whole thing out again and I'll have to start all over again. Well, I want to move on to my favorite topic, which is redistricting. And this could be like one of the last times we talk about redistricting in depth, although maybe not if there's a lawsuit. Uh, When I was in the Senate uh, presser, I think on Thursday, we Senator Rizzo and I were comparing 2011 to 2022. And he seemed to think that 2011 was crazier because it involves like, you know, Democrats trying to defend Russ Carnahan and Democrats like crossing over. I think this cycle of redistricting was bananas, probably one of the craziest things I've ever seen. But what's your impressions of how it went? It, it, it was it was crazy. Uh, I wasn't in the in the legislature when uh, 2011 happened. I know I wasn't overjoyed about the redistricting uh, that came out of 2011 because I thought it could have been a better map. And that's one of the things that people were saying about this one that it should have been a five three map if you look at the demographics of the entire state, but. The demographics and where the demographics line up are two different animals. Uh, I, th- I think the, the thing that made it crazy was the seven Republicans in the Senate who were pushing that 7-1 map where there would be seven Republican districts and one uh, Democratic district. They are the ones that uh, slowed it down and created Interesting mess. Uh, I th- I de- I'm sad that it happened that more or less the last day when it was finally approved. We didn't have a lot of time to look at it, and we couldn't make any changes to what the Senate sentenced or approved. We, we just couldn't really debate it. I mean, we could debate it, but debate for what purpose? Well, it went. It, it passed out of the House on right. Monday, and then just went to the Senate and passed without really any changes. That's right. And you know, some Democrats I talked to said that the main goal this cycle was making sure that it wasn't a seven-to-one map. Which I've said this before on the show: a seven-to-one map would take Emanuel Cleaver's fifth district in Kansas City and turn it from a fairly Democratic district to a, a fairly Republican district. And that didn't happen. It's actually more Democratic now than it was mm-hmm. in 2011. I, I get the argument about the second district, but I, honestly, a lot of Democrats were not really expecting the second district to come out the other side a, as a winnable district for them. And it's like a plus eight Republican district. It's not impossible. I think it's going to be really challenging. Can't, wouldn't you just consider this like the best of bad outcomes for Democrats? I, I think so. Uh, you, you know, part of the things is just looking at the areas that they put in the first district and the areas uh, that they took in the second district. Uh, it created some interesting uh, map making. 
I mean, when you see that second district sweep around the bottom half of St. Louis County and then sweep around to the north. So you're talking <laughs> about the Webster Peninsula, by the way. Yeah. Okay. You, you actually transitioned into my next question really well. What you're talking about is that in this map, Webster basically is in the first and it juts out like a peninsula. But everything around it, including large chunks of Maplewood and Richmond Heights, are now in the second. I'm just going to ask you point blank. Was that done to hurt Congresswoman Cori Bush? I'm not really sure. I hadn't looked at the numbers and seeing where they fall and everything else. Hadley, ta- Hadley that, Township though. voted for Cori Bush by a large margin in right. 2020. I double-checked that. So I'm going to ask that question again. <laughs> Do you think that was done to hurt Cori Bush? It could have been. And do you think Democrats were complicit in that? Because a lot of your Democratic colleagues do not like Cori Bush and would rather have Steve Roberts be in Congress rather than her. Uh, that could be the case. I, 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 to be really honest with you, Jay, Jason, I really haven't been looking at that race that much. I, I do know both of the individuals and and. Other than that, I will be this summer trying to figure out where I'm going, yeah. but not yet. But I do want to also make a counterpoint to that. There has been a longstanding desire among black St. Louis and St. Louis County residents to make sure the first district is as African-American as possible. Because I'm sure that you know a lot of white Democrats have wanted to take black voters and put it into the second for decades so you would have two districts. But that could mean you have two white congressmen and— I would argue, and Bill Clay argued this in his book quite eloquently, that having a black congressman is pretty critical to having a robust African-American political ecosystem in St. Louis. But what's your thought about that? That is a historic uh, black congressional district since the time of Bill Clay and followed on by his son, Lacey. and, and I would like for that district to stay African-American if possible. Uh, I've, there were some black legislators in the uh, House who wanted it to move further northwest in St. Louis County because, in, in truth, if you look at the migrational patterns of coming out of the city of St. Louis, that's what the migration pattern of black um, St. Louisans appear to be towards the Northwest. So one of the questions I was asking both Republicans and Democrats on Friday, the last day of session, and also Thursday when the Senate adjourned, is whether this map would survive a compactness challenge. Because if you look at the Missouri Constitution, there's no language in there that says you can't draw maps for partisan gain. There's nothing in there that says, like, You have to keep certain cities or counties together, but it does say that the districts have to be as compact as may be. And in 2012, there was a lawsuit over the 2011 map saying it wasn't compact. The Supreme Court upheld that map. Now, none of us are lawyers in this conversation, but do you think that the map that Governor Parson will likely sign, we're recording this on Tuesday, he's probably gonna make a decision on Wednesday, uh, will survive a compactness challenge. Wow, that, that's going to be up to the courts again. Uh, I don't think it's as compact as it could have been. And I think our original map that we sent over to the Senate was a better map in that compactness test. 
than this current map. But I think this current map was sent over to try to mollify some of those Republicans on the other side. Uh, I'm not sure if it really did, but uh, yeah. We're going to do a lightning round oh, where okay. <laughs> we want we want quick answers uh, about the 2022 election. Okay. It, it doesn't have to be one word, but maybe one or two lines. You mentioned the first district race between Cory Bush and Steve Roberts. Like, it's an interesting contest in the sense that, you know, Cory Bush is the incumbent and is being challenged very seriously. Do you think that will be a competitive race? No, I think it is going to be a competitive race because I've known uh, uh, people have talked to me who had voted for Corey who were disappointed in some of her votes in Congress. What do you see as major Democratic priorities in this year's election cycle? What, uh, statewide or national? You pick. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, statewide, I, I know what we're trying to do. We're trying to pick up some more House seats. Uh, we think that, uh, talking about maps, that the state congr- House seat maps do favor Democrats in some districts that we were not favor- for, favored in the past. And we have been working hard, uh, the House Democrats, find good candidates and figure out ways to support them in that campaign. Now, how do you think the House Democrats will do in this cycle? Because you're right, the map is a lot more favorable to them. And if it's it's a Republican year this year, the gains may be minimal this year. But do you see, like, eventually the House Democrats gaining later in the decade during a Democratic year? Yes, uh, that that is our hope. We hope that we can pick up at least five. I do. I would like to see more than that, but yes. Should Missouri Democrats exert a lot of energy into the U.S. Senate race if the GOP nominee is not Eric Crichton's? I'm going to have to watch and see what the polling data is on that. Uh, I I think the young lady who's running on the Democratic side uh, she has some good positives. Uh, it's going to be intriguing in the sense that she's late in the race, but I think that's not going to be a major factor. So you're talking about Trudy Bush Valentine, who happens to be Gussie Bush's daughter, but right. she's emphasized that her professional background is nurse and not beer making. Right. There's also Lucas Kuntz, who, who ran for state representative in 2006, but has raised a lot of money. Do you think that either of these candidates could win? It depends on who's on the Republican side. I think uh, any one of the Republican candidates are so tragically flawed that they could easily be beaten unless it's uh, a wave election. And my final question for you, what will be your major priorities in your final term in the Missouri House, which very well could be the last we see of Joe Adams in elected office? (laughs) You're probably right about the last you'll see. Um, I, I, I hope that we can keep some of the gains that we made for the budget this year, uh, particularly dealing with education, uh, fully funding and continuing K through 12, but also being uh, my background is higher education, fully funding of the higher education. I, I was able to cajole people to put make sure money was put in for higher education and specifically for the HBCU, the Historic Black College and Universities. Uh, I was grateful to see that Lincoln had finally got full funding for 
uh, its land grant status and, and its money in the 1890 funds. And I hope that we can get money to cover the, the arrearage that the state has denied them in the past. Fun fact, by the way, my grandfather, Simon Rosenbaum, went to Harris Stowe Teachers College before it was, I think, a historically black college. So, oh, great. So thank you very much for your time. Oh, thank you. For all of our stories, stlpr.org. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can follow me on Twitter, Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you on Twitter, Sarah? At Sarah K. Kellogg. And how could people follow you on Twitter or any place on the Internet you want to be found? Okay. If you weren't there once. <laughs> <laughs> if I want to be found. I, I do have a Twitter handle. It's at, at Bear underscore Adams. That's my Twitter handle. My uh, I do have uh, Facebook posts, and that's Joe Adams for Missouri. That's my Facebook Thank you very much, and until next time, so long. Time. From St. Louis Public Radio, this is Politically Speaking.